Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Anthony, good to have you on the show. How are you doing today? I'm very good, Hadi. Thank you a lot for having me. Excited to talk with you today. Yeah, this is a topic dear to my heart because we were offline chatting that I'm a person who have used your uh, tools, the CGM tools, and we'll explain to the listeners a little bit about that. But before that, let me just give a quick introduction for our listeners. So Anthony Anibonam is the founder of Very, uh, who are helping health-conscious individuals achieve optimal metabolic health through a blood sugar sensor. And you've raised to date around 10.8 million euros. Anthony, tell us a little bit, what inspired you to build Very? Absolutely. We started Very from an interesting direct principle or background. We actually started building the product for ourselves in the beginning. And uh, the founder team, we've had a lot of problems with our metabolic health personally, uh, struggled with autoimmune conditions and diseases. And that basically inspired us to build something in the space of helping people truly understand the power of nutrition and helping people understand as well of how different foods have an impact on their body and how the foods actually are then down the line impacting their overall health and well-being. That's really like where we got started from and the principle of the company. Yeah, that's amazing. For those who don't know, CGM is practically a sensor that you put on your arm and it tracks how your blood sugar is reacting to certain foods. And you have an app that tells you this, I believe. Can you give someone who doesn't know anything about that, that field your value proposition and who was your or still is your ideal target customer? Absolutely. So CGMs themselves are these small devices that are placed on the back of your arm and they monitor blood sugar continuously. They are worn 14 days at a time and basically what we've built is the best possible user experience and operating system for people to truly understand what is the relationship of foods, exercise, sleep, even stress to their bodies and to their health. Yeah, that's sort of like it. And who's your target ideal customer, basically? The target ideal customers, when we got started, really, we built the product for ourselves. And obviously, people can just hear my voice here, but uh, I do triathlons and I do a lot of long distance sports stuff. And I've played sports or done sports like my whole life. So really, like the target customer where we started from were people like ourselves, and as I said earlier there, we started building the product for ourselves. It wasn't supposed to necessarily even be a business. We just discovered extraordinary, cool, and really like inspiring technology. And we started building a product uh, for ourselves. And it was sort of like the first premises. And we came from a position where we had this tool that we had built and we talked about it to a lot of the people around us. And People seemed excited about it, pretty much like similar people as we were, and they wanted to test it. So hence, this project and operating system that we built for ourselves sort of like accidentally almost became a business. So in the beginning, the target customers were a lot of 
people like ourselves. But as we grew and scale and dug deeper into the space as well, we very clearly started seeing that the need for products like this exceeds and is actually like more impactful as well for people that are more on the scale of being less healthy. So people who are struggling with their weight, people who've identified insulin resistance, like some level of insulin resistance, um, are people that truly benefit from using a product like ours. And slowly but surely, we've transitioned to cater more of this audience. For a founder building a company, something really important to understand is, is your solution a painkiller or a vitamin? The more of a painkiller type of approach you can do and build, the better, like most of the times. And that's as well like an insight that we made and how we sort of like started transitioning more and more towards that group of people. And today, there is being used by people that struggle with their weight or who identify insulin resistance at some shape or form and are trying to get rid of that condition to be better for their families, to be able to, you know, run with their children or their grandchildren and just enjoy life and expand healthy years in their life. When we really think and when we really like dug deeper and thought about it as a team as well, like that really, really resonated with us. Like for us to be able to dial that last knob for someone that is like an uh, uh, optimizer, that wasn't really like exciting for us. For us, like the most exciting thing was to be able to really change people's lives with this technology. And we have hundreds and hundreds of people that are now successfully or have successfully been able to been able to do that. Well, thousands of people actually, but um, being modest as, as, as Finns oftentimes are. <laughs> That's an amazing uh, story. Thank you for sharing that. So if we go back to the early days of Very, what was your early acquisition strategies that you've deployed to get your first 100 customers? That's an excellent question, Hadi. So as I said earlier, like we started building the product for ourselves and you know we didn't have a dime in our bank account to do like any sort of acquisition. So really for us, it was like in the beginning, it was just word of mouth. So a lot of our friends used the product and uh, through that, you know, everyone like started talking, talking with each other. But actually, like the first sort of like step there was Facebook groups was becoming a thing. We met some people from Facebook when we were in San Francisco or in Palo Alto and where we were previously working for Aura and a company called Meru Health, the co-founders. And we talked with a lot of the people at Facebook and some of them like knew to say the Facebook groups is really like becoming a thing. And like, it's an internal thing at Meta that they're really like starting to push that avenue and cause organic growth there. After listening to that talk, we were like, okay, like we need to do a Facebook group and basically like talk about these things, like start educating people about metabolic health and the usage of CGMs to be able to understand the state of your metabolic health. And we did that. And really like the first sort of like version of the product wasn't a mobile app at all it was actually us just we had access to these cgms and we basically sold consultation consultation in the form and it was like something that we had learned from yc build things that don't scale we wanted to basically do a product to the level that we couldn't anymore scale our time like if we were able to do that we thought that okay we probably have like a scalable business here like when ours in the day run out. And 
how that then looked like we put together a landing page where we said, hey, you know, we have these CGMs, you can purchase these CGMs from us, and we will consult you. We'll basically look at your data, you can send all of your data to us, we'll run data analysis with R and Excel and do like really nice reports for you. And then like sit on Zoom meetings to go through hour to hour, like meal by meal, how your glucose responds to those given foods and how like close are they on sort of like recommended thresholds and whatnot. So it was really like non-scalable work. And we got this to the point through that Facebook group, we got this to a point where we were sitting on calls all the time, like from the moment that we woke up to the moment that we sort of like went to bed and like had dinner at our hacker house in Burlingame, California, we basically uh, were able to build, get sort of like the first sub 10,000 in revenue by doing that. And that was like a signal for us that, okay, there's clearly like something in the space, there's clearly something for us to build. And then we actually like started investing in building like a scalable version of the application. So it was like a very like iterative process towards that point where we couldn't anymore scale our hours. Yeah, absolutely. I think Reid Hoffman also once said, if your version one is something you're not embarrassed of at the beginning, then you're probably not doing it right. Going to version two, which is now proper app that has interesting user interface. How did you get the next layer of customers other than the non-scalable items that you just mentioned? Yeah, so really like when we think about it in terms of in the spirit of this podcast as well, like those customers that we did were probably like the first 30 customers. The first 30 or so customers were people who two people were able to talk like on a regular basis without like exhausting their hours in the week. That was sort of like the first step. Really like the beauty of the first step for any founder going into something like this was the fact that we were basically doing customer interviews like constantly all the time. So we were just like sucking in all of this information of what the customers wanted from a scalable version, what was really valuable in those interactions that we had. In a way, like how we like to think about it back then, we were joking with my co-founder, Vern, we're doing customer research, but we're getting paid. This is the best possible way for us to really understand what we need to build next. So based on all of those insights that we had, we got from like hours and hours of talking with those customers. We were able to acquire enough information to strongly feel that we can actually build like a version 2.0 that the customers will love, like the first 30 customers and then the next 70. For us, the next 70 customers then came from us building the first version of the product. So we built the first version of the app. And again, we sort of like launched it with our investors on Twitter. So our investors helped us by saying, hey, you know, like, We've backed this company and uh, Timo from Lifeline Ventures that basically was sort of like the first check-in on Very. He had used the product for a long time and obviously very connected. He posted it and we started seeing a lot of sales coming in. I think like that day, we probably like sold 50 more units, which was like mind-boggling back then. We just like over doubled our user base. That was basically like a Reed Hoffman moment there where we knew that the product wasn't good enough. We knew that. We knew that we went in with a product knowing that a lot of things need to be improved there. And we were pretty modest about it as well. And we were pretty sort of like uh, humble about it as well. The sole idea of that launch was just to be able to talk with as many people as possible and just understand what are the biggest pain points that they're seeing from the product. And based on that, we learned a lot and did then 
sort of like the next iteration of the product with all of those discussions that we have with those customers back then. And then I think then after that, we sort of like did a product hunt launch. We did a product hunt launch and we started seeing a lot of customers sort of like then coming on. We had a wait list going on. So we started seeing like organically people coming to the product and wanting to use it. And there was very rigorous, like we just picked the cherries on the top who we knew that would be really satisfied with the product based on like this relatively deep analysis of who they are and what we had identified in the past of like, who are the customers actually that love this product as it is right now. So we could find the, you know, the first hundred people that really, really love us that thought that we had like a 10 star experience as Brian Chesky you know, often says about the first 100 customers, you know. So that's really sort of like how we grew and scale and how with those 100 people, we really like tried to build the best possible version of the product before we then went out and sort of like started scaling the product in like more heavily. Thank you for sharing this. This is very helpful. And, you know, I've been a long user of CGM. You need to be educated, as you said. You need to understand why you need this. And to be frank, obesity rate is at its highest in developed countries like the US and the UK, at least. These are countries where I'm familiar with. And some research suggests that the problem is not fat, it's sugar. And this is where the blood sugar monitoring sensors come into play. The problem with the mass adoption play is currently the CGMs are still expensive. And... The problem as well is that the hardware is expensive, which powers this. What do you think is the best price point for mass adoption? If you had the magic wand to say, okay, the hardware is free, the software is not, because we need to do that analysis to give you feedback. What would be a price point that you would say would open it up for everyone? to go and buy it? Because today the problem is it's expensive and some people would try it but will not reorder the the sensor because it's an ongoing cost that they have to keep on paying. And it's hundreds of dollars, I believe. So what's your take on that? No, I mean, it's a fantastic point. And it's really like the biggest thing that most of the companies are sort of like figuring still out in this space. I think there's a couple of approaches that we're seeing on the market. One approach is to basically like utilize the like past data build better data models and then be able to project how one would react to different foods as well like take on the context with existing wearables like aura ring and an apple watch and, and sort of like similar wearables where a lot of the cgm users who come to use the products like already have like those wearables or one of those wearables so i'm seeing that like more there's a lot of research coming out on the space about basically being able to utilize 14 days worth of glucose data, uh, matching that with activity data like sleep and exercise, and then being able to project relatively accurately how one would react to different foods as well, like in the future. Uh, That's an exciting avenue that I'm seeing a lot of companies take. There's as well like more heavy content plays of basically being able to offer a product version where it's a lot about the education, education factor, and not necessarily like so heavily rely on all of the bells and whistles when it comes to these really complex data models and large language like model utilizations to power those insights. I think when we think about like all of these are all avenues that the companies are taking, uh, very included. But I actually think that one of the fastest way to get there is to get the product subsidized or basically like 
into the pair network. So especially for the people that truly need the product to be able to get it under insurance plans and they are like incentivizing employers to pay for the product is most likely going to be the most rapid, the most like scalable version to get the price point down to, well, not to zero, but close to zero, right? Like included in your insurance. So it depends a lot on the direction that the company wants to take and what the companies are taking. If it's a DIY type of self-care product path that companies are looking to take, then basically like building these data models and content is most likely going to be the way. If it's on sort of like being able to build programs for people to be able to tackle some of these really like hard conditions, then basically like programming it, getting it under insurance, and then being able to provide it to the people that actually need the product that are much less like data literate is I think like the way of getting the price point down fast. But uh, definitely something that all of us in this space are working on to be able to get the price point as close to zero as possible. But uh, not to avoid like your question fully, I think being able to get to a price point of under or 10 to 20 bucks per month is probably going to be that kind of a price point where uh, most of the people can really like use the product day in, day out. And as the hardware as well, like evolves, we are like all the time, every single day, we're getting closer to that point. What do you think is the next evolution of the hardware? Because today it's a small sensor with a small filament that you have to pinch into your arm or your belly. What do you think is the next trend or the next innovation in the hardware? Do you think we're going to swallow something or inject something that's permanent? There's a couple of companies working on micro needles. So micro needle technology where, you know, not only like that one big scary needle, but multiple actually, and even being able to monitor like multiple variety of different metrics from that, not only glucose, but as well, like other metrics. There's a couple of companies working on those and like they seem like exciting. And I think like most likely a micro needle version of the current product is most likely. After that, I think we will start already seeing some pretty exciting technology that is like to a certain degree, non-invasive. And uh, there, I think like the sort of like the winning technology that I'm seeing currently in the market is sort of like light or lead, which is Raman spectroscopy is sort of like scoped out and thought about that being sort of like the way of being able to measure glucose without it being invasive. So in layman's terms, you shine light to your skin from a certain direction and you get the composite of from that surface area of different analytes you get the composite of different analytes in that same area reflected back to a watch for example type of device this is all amazing and uh, we hope this becomes the trend because you know invasive still technology is not that adopted what's the principle that you live by that you know has made you a successful entrepreneur save a seat to the customer save a seat to the customer on the table i do multiple customer interviews per week I try to constantly understand what the customers are struggling with and what's really like the biggest pain point of our product. And then like really fast as well, like moving with the team to solve those bigger problems, being modest enough and being humble enough to admit the fact that you don't know everything and, you know, your customers is right. And being able to like listen to them and really like implement fast is something that we get a lot of credit from, from our customers of our abilities to be able to ship the things that they truly want. I think another thing is, which is like intertwined with this is being able to iterate or being able to be iter iterative. So 
our product philosophy lives by the fact that we make as little assumptions as possible at a time. We ship as small increments as possible because we don't want to waste our time doing something that the users don't need at all. I think that as well like comes with a certain level of you know humbleness. You have to be humble and you have to be fearless to ship something, ship things that aren't like 100% done and ironed out. Because, uh, you know, you'll just like learn so much more by doing so. And I think that's been like a huge factor for us to succeed and get this far. Thank you for sharing this principle. One last question. If you were to write a book about your life, what would the title be? What a challenging question. Assume you don't know anything. That's a good one. Why would you put that title? I think I'm sort of like this whole journey... I've been wrong so many times and we've been wrong so many times and we've assumed so many different things and being able to be humble enough to sort of like get to that level that you don't assume you know anything is I think is a superpower. And um, I think like just like this whole journey has taught me that lesson like so many times that it just came to mind and uh, I'll actually have to start scoping and thinking about that. (laughs) Thank you for the question. (laughs) Perfect. Anthony, thank you for coming to our podcast. This was an amazing. What's next for Very and how can people reach you? Next for Very is we're in an interesting place where we really want to go deeper, help people truly understand the state of their metabolic health. And we really want to go deeper into helping people that really need this product to succeed and get their health back. That's really like where we are focusing on the most. And I'm on Twitter. I try to avoid social media to a certain degree. I do a lot of writing about different topics of my sort of like cornicles, uh, different learnings uh, throughout the way. So if you're interested in reaching out, you can reach me out on my personal page, anthony.xyz, and uh, read about all of the things that we are are discovering and uh, learning on the way. Thank you, Anthony, for stopping by and good luck on your venture. Awesome. Thank you, Hadi. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers. 